It's one thing to proactively avoid tough situations. It's another to maneuver when we're in the midst of them. On this episode, negotiation tactics that will help in some of the toughest situations facing our listening community. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 311. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. And I'm so glad that you're tuning in today. If this is your first time listening, welcome. I know today's conversation is going to be helpful to you because one of the things that we all need to navigate in our lives, in not only our professional lives, but our personal lives, is how to negotiate well, how to persuade. I've actually had several times in the last four to five days, both professionally and personally, when I've come into situations where one party wanted something, one party wanted the other, and I needed to be a part of navigating that and either figuring that out for myself or helping other people figure that out. And that is really the daily work of leaders. And that's why uh, when I met today's guest uh, several months ago, I knew he would be really helpful to many of us around navigating the daily challenges of negotiation that many of us experience as leaders, Um, but also uh, not only just the how-to, but to actually uh, get some tactical advice for some of the very things that our community is dealing with right now. And we put out a call for questions around handling tough situations, handling negotiations, handling even difficult conversations, and got some great questions. And so I'm really thrilled to be able to welcome Kwame Christian to the show. He is a business lawyer who teaches professionals how to negotiate and to be more persuasive. He's the director of the American Negotiation Institute and also produces the podcast Negotiate Anything, the top-ranked negotiation podcast on iTunes. Kwame, welcome to Coaching for Leaders. Dave, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Oh, the pleasure is mine. I'm really glad to be chatting with you because there are so many times we run into this in daily life professionally and personally, as I mentioned in the intro. And yet, this is one of those topics that almost all the time, whenever I mention negotiation or mention negotiation skills or get into a situation where we have to negotiate, kind of the universal reaction seems to be from people like, I don't really want to deal with that. I don't want to go into a negotiation. I'm not good at that is the the thing I hear all the time. I'm sure you do too. What is it, before we get into some of the questions, what is it about our mindset and maybe just at the 30,000 foot level that maybe we're not handling well with negotiation? We're not thinking about this the right way. Yeah. The thing about negotiation is, is like you said, most people struggle with this. And I think that's because the skills that come with negotiation uh, and the mindset that is required to be uh, good at negotiations, it's not intuitive. And that's what makes it difficult. And the other thing that makes it difficult is that it's not taught. So let me ask you a question. When was the first time you took a negotiation class? Yeah, I don't think I've ever had a class on negotiation specifically. I've, I've, I've had a few mentions of it in some business classes, <laughs> but never, never a whole class. Right. And, and those mentions, I'm assuming that was in college, right? No, not even it's probably in graduate school. Actually, it was the only time I can oh, remember well. doing a negotiation exercise in grad school. And the only thing I remember about it is it didn't seem at all real life. <laughs> so I don't feel like I took a lot away from it. Right. See, and and that's the problem. 
when you when you think about negotiation in a broad sense, so as and think about what a negotiation is. A negotiation is any conversation you have with someone where somebody wants something. And with that broad definition, you recognize that negotiations are everywhere. So it's not a question of whether or not you negotiate. It's a question of whether or not you negotiate well. And throughout our childhood, adolescence, and going through college, it is a it is a skill set that is woefully unrepresented in our education system. And I say negotiation and negotiate and uh, dispute resolution as well. Um, we're constantly provided with situations of conflict, and yet we are not taught systematically how to deal with these conflicts. And so that's the biggest issue. We just haven't had that opportunity, and it takes us now as professionals uh, to be proactive and search for those opportunities to improve these skills. Well, one thing you can do right now to educate me is the distinction between negotiation and dispute resolution. I've heard both of those terms, but I haven't thought about them as distinct. Uh, what is the difference and, and, and why do we need to know that? So here is the, a simple way to think about it. With a negotiation, like I said, it's a conversation where somebody wants something. And the goal of the conversation is to figure out whether or not that person is going to get what they want. Most times, both people want different things and they're trying to figure out how they work together collaboratively when it's at its best, <laughs> of course, uh, to see what the relationship looks like and, and how those, those wants are distributed. The difference in dispute resolution is that there's some kind of conflict. There's some kind of conflict or disturbance in the relationship that needs to be addressed. And then once that is addressed, once they reach some kind of understanding or create a scenario where the relationship has a a strong foundation again, then it just essentially becomes a negotiation because typically at the root of these conflicts, there is a want or a desire. And so the simple way to think about this is that you have a negotiation and then you have conflict plus negotiation. And when you approach a dispute resolution situation, the goal first is to address the underlying conflict. And then once that's been handled, then you can address the substance of the negotiation. So potentially a few different layers for us to be aware of. And it sounds like regardless of what situation it is, some of these core elements of how we would handle negotiation and thinking about the other party's interests probably, if not stay the same, are still similar. Absolutely. All right. Sounds good. Well, let's tackle a few of the questions that came in from our audience and um, I've been doing some thinking on these questions, but I am really curious, Kwame, from a perspective of a negotiation expert, how are the, you know, some of the ways you would handle these? Um, and this first question I've heard a few times from our community, and I think it's one that a lot of leaders have been in this situation and not necessarily known how to handle. So the first question comes from Margaret. Margaret asks, how do I respond to people asking for a pay raise, especially when I don't have the budget to give anything additional and or they simply are not deserving of additional compensation. Uh, Kwame, I'm, I'm guessing the first one's a little easier sometimes to navigate, for better or worse, when the budget's <laughs> not there. But I, I am curious about this when they're not deserving of additional compensation. Where would you start with this if you were coaching a, a leader to handle this? Yeah, this is one of those difficult conversations that as leaders we find ourselves in. I remember one of my favorite quotes came from Billie Jean King, and she said, pressure is a privilege. And uh, I guess this is one of those privileges (laughs) that you get as a leader. When it comes to these types of conversations, you need to have a good understanding of the skill of saying no. 
And that's one of the hardest things in negotiation. Uh, the most popular book in negotiation is getting to yes. But sometimes we do that to our detriment because the answer should be no. So how do we handle these conversations? When you have to say no in a negotiation or a conversation with a, a subordinate in this type of situation, what I suggest using is the no sandwich technique. And so it sounds a little bit juvenile, but <laughs> stick with me. And so the strategy with this conversation is you start with a yes, you then follow it with the substantive no, and then you follow it with another yes. Behind every no, there's going to be a yes. So what is the yes that we're looking for here? We're saying yes to the continuing of the relationship and yes to continuing development and no to the substantive request. So what does that look like? So it could be something like this. Well, Dave, thank you for coming in today. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to schedule this meeting. And like I mentioned before, I think it's going to be very important for us to continue to develop your skills because I, I see that you have a lot of potential, but at this point, you are not there yet. So unfortunately, I'm going to have to deny your request for a pay raise. However, I want to continue to schedule time with you so we can continue to build you up and build those requisite skills. So then sometime in the future, you would be eligible for a pay raise. So again, in that example, what you're seeing is there's first a yes to the relationship and continued development, a substantive and very clear no, and then followed up with an, another yes to the relationship. So what I'm hearing there is the distinction between what's the request in the moment versus the long-term investment that you're making in a relationship with the person. So a clear statement, like you said, of I'm investing in the relationship and uh, and this ongoing development, but on this particular request, I'm saying no. So I think we're trying to, with a response like that, set the expectation that it's a no, not now, not necessarily a no forever. Exactly. And I think one of the, the key distinctions here is that it's a no to the substantive request, but a yes to the person. And that's going to be important. And, and that's why it's so important to think about these things beforehand and know exactly the way that you're going to do it. But again, making it abundantly clear that the answer is no but still abundantly clear that the relationship will continue and you want to continue this conversation on the topic of continued skill development. So that's an interesting point um, to ask you on this too, uh, is you know thinking about it in advance. And this particular question strikes me as one that is the kind that there, there are times that you may know that this question is coming. And there's also times that leaders just get totally caught off guard by this question. And maybe we shouldn't, but uh, someone walks into the office, or they've scheduled a one-on-one, and all of a sudden this question comes out of the blue. And, and, and as anyone who's ever asked for a raise knows, it's not an easy question to ask, of course. When it's something like this does come out of the blue and it catches you off guard, and maybe you're not prepared to have that conversation in the moment, but you need to, what have you found mm-hmm. that's helpful for people you work with, Kwame, as far as kind of thinking through how they navigate that, either to respond in the moment or... Is it appropriate to say something to delay the conversation? I'm, I'm curious what you advise. I would say always delay when you have the opportunity. Negotiation requires consent. There is no such thing as a one-party negotiation. But in, in these types of conversations, these are high stakes. And if you say the wrong thing, it could have long-lasting ramifications, either for the company or for the personal relationship between you and your subordinate. And so... I always suggest doing whatever it takes to get time. 
there's no there's no shame in taking time to do this and in fact the best negotiators are the one who t- the ones who take the most time to prepare they take this seriously and they don't think that they could go into the conversation in freestyle or or wing it they recognize how delicate these conversations are and they take the time so let's go back to your example if somebody comes into your office and asks for a raise you could just say oh well jason thank you for coming in today i i appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to me about this because it shows that you're very proactive about your career. Right now is just not a good time for me to discuss it. I'm I'm not prepared at this time to discuss it, but let's get a time on the calendar to have this conversation and we'll come back later date. And so again, this is the same the same framework that we discussed earlier with the no sandwich. You're showing appreciation and respect for the relationship, saying a very succinct and clear no. And then saying, but I want to continue this relationship. I want to continue this conversation. This framework is something that we could use in in every situation if we want to deny while still saying yes to the person. And so that allows you to have the get the requisite time to come up with a delicate way of phrasing this situation and, and giving yourself time to think through it and then be at your best in the conversation when it comes up. I'm thinking about some recent situations I've handled, as I mentioned in the intro, Kwame, and um, almost, uh, I'm thinking of one situation in particular, a business situation where two parties were wanting two different things. And uh, almost never is it the case where you can't buy a little bit of time. <laughs> I, I suppose there are situations yeah. where you where you absolutely uh, have to decide in the, in the moment. But most of the time, there is uh, a way to take some time. And, and, and I did do that in the situation I'm thinking about. And it really did help. And it actually helped get a better result for both parties to think through the situation of like, thank you for the request. Uh, here's my initial thought on it. I did do that in this situation of here's my initial thought on it. Uh, just you know, because this is coming to me fresh and I, I haven't had time to think of it, but let me go back and do some thinking on it and I will come back to you with a much more thought through answer. And um, and that that worked really well. And, uh, and so I think the reminder for us is when we get in one of these situations where someone's asking us for something is we, we can delay, a, you know, we can spend some time to think about it. We don't necessarily have to give an immediate no or give an immediate yes as we can take some time. Exactly. And, and, and this gives us an opportunity to introduce another core concept of negotiation. Information is the lifeblood of, of effective negotiation. And even if we're caught off guard and we don't want to give a substantive response to the request because we want more time, we still have the ability to gather information at this time. And so if somebody really wants to have this conversation, you could just say, you could say exactly what I said before, saying no to the substantive request, but say, like I said, I was taken a bit taken off guard by your request at, at this specific time. So I'd like to ask you a few questions about it. And it gives you a, an opportunity to gather information. And with that information, you can prepare a more thorough and uh, effective strategy for the upcoming conversation. And asking questions and gathering information should be your go-to. If you're ever in a situation, in a conversation or a negotiation where you are not sure what your next move should be, switch your mind to a curious lens. That should be your guiding star. Okay, if I don't know where to go, that means I'm lacking information. Let me find the information that I need by asking great open-ended questions, and then that will be my guiding light as I continue to navigate this conversation. Ah, I love that advice, and I've absolutely found that to be true for me too. Okay, good. Let's uh, let's tackle the next question here from Kim. 
Kim wrote in and said, I've recently gotten a promotion to start leading a department of my own, and I struggle with a certain employee. She started out as an underdog that you wanted to root for, but now she's unmotivated and it's clear she just doesn't have good instincts. I've spent a lot of time trying to coach her in the past year. We started in the roles at the same time, she says, but she's not catching on like my other reports do. And now she's at the point where there's she's very ineffective in working with our students. They complain about her constantly. This is clearly not her long-term goal to work in my area, and it's time to console her out of the job. I'm just not sure how to do that. I would love to get your thoughts on how managers can navigate this tricky conversations of encouraging their employees to leave the company. Kwame, what do you think on uh, as a starting point for this as far as just mindset of, of entering into a conversation? This is a tough one. And this of, of all the questions that you provided, I believe this is going to be the most difficult because there really isn't a, an easy solution for this because it's going to be a painful conversation, both for you and for them. For them, because at least you are leaving the conversation with your job. So take that as some solace in this conversation. But in this, the mindset that we need to adopt is one of an attorney or a parent. And an attorney, what we do is we protect our clients. As a parent, what we do is we protect our children. And in this case, your client or your child would be the business. You're doing this job, and I hear children in this question, we're doing this job because we care about the kids. There is a greater why behind the actions we're taking within our role in this employment position. And so it's for the children. It's for the organization. We we are passionate and we care about what we're doing. And the thing is, even though we care about this individual, the company needs to come first. The children need to come first. And we need to protect our client or in this situation. And the best way to do that in this case is to help this person to transition. And now we can do that with compassion and we can give them time to adjust. But really, as far as X's and O's goes with this conversation, it's pretty straightforward. You use, utilize the same no framework that we discussed earlier. But in order to really show up at your best in this conversation, you need to adopt that mentality of somebody who has been tasked with protecting the larger interests of the organization. So if we come to it from that mental framework, it doesn't make it doesn't make this conversation easy by any means, and I, I I appreciate the complexity you've approached this question and the response, Kwame. Of you know, the, this is obviously a very tough situation, yet it allows us to really think of like what's the bigger reason for why we're doing this is that this organization, the service we're giving, is not just about this particular employee, but it's about an entire entire expectation of how we're serving customers and, and in this case, students. And so that has to be thought of by the organization and by someone who's been entrusted with leadership, right? Absolutely. And, and this gives us another opportunity to bring in another very important negotiation skill, and that is the utilization of objective criteria. And so whenever we're making a point in a negotiation, and we can use this for each of these examples that we're going to go through today. You want to validate your point through the use of legitimate objective criteria. So ob- objective, of course, is the, uh, the opposite of subjective. Objective means that it is, the, it is not based on opinion. It means that it's based on r- reality, on facts, facts that you can substantiate. And when I talk about legitimate, um, legitimacy in this case means that those facts that you're presenting need to come from a, a non-biased, 
third party source. It's not coming from you. Something that is something that is a source that both parties in this case can re can relate to and respect. And in this case, in the question that was presented, the objective criteria that we could utilize are the well, first we have the reviews, we have the performance metrics, those type of things, and we could bring that to the conversation and say, we've appreciated your time here. Unfortunately, due to X, Y, and Z factor, we're going to have to part ways at this time. However, we do appreciate the work that you put in and we do care about you. So we want to make this transition as, as seamless as possible as we'll work with you and counsel you out of this role. I know one of the things that often we hear from, from uh, human resource professionals is when you're in a situation like this of taking the time to document what's happened. And that's often one of the first steps in this process. And I think that speaks to what you're saying here, Kwame, which is to have the more of that objective record, at least on, if for nothing else, on paper of what's happened, what's been the situation so that um, it's a little hard, I shouldn't say it's a little easier, it's a little harder for the person to dispute what's happened. Exactly. And, that, and that's the, the, benefit, the beauty of the objective criteria. And like you said, documentation, and not just documentation, but documentation in a way that makes them aware of the performance gaps, because you don't want this to be a situation where there is surprise. If they feel surprised, this conversation is going to go worse than it needs to be. With, con with negotiations, and, and another principle that we can bring to the fore at this point, is that I don't see there being a specific beginning and a specific end to a negotiation. We're constantly positioning ourselves with our colleagues at work and with the people who are all around us. We have every conversation is, an op is a persuasive opportunity. And if we do this the right way and we take advantage of these mini negotiations, it takes weight of, off of our shoulders when we have to have the culminating conversation. And so in this case, it's something that great for the, the person on the other side where you're letting them go. But you've had these mini conversations and you've been framing it in a way where once, once that major conversation happens, it's, it's not as surprising and it's not as heavy of a conversation. It makes it easier for them to swallow and easier for you to deliver because you're not delivering it all at one time. Well, and that's a perfect alignment with uh, Jonathan Raymond, who was on the show recently talking through the accountability dial, which actually will also be helpful to Kim's question too. And it is a series of conversations. This isn't something that gets sprung on someone that they're surprised on. This is something that's very much expected once you get to that point, or at least should be based on the number of conversations you've had. And it's just you know, effective communication with people and to get what both parties are going to want. So let's, let's take the question here from Vivian. Vivian wrote in and said, I have a direct report in another country who is very close to my boss as they are in the same time zone. The employee deals with my boss's requests very well, but is very sloppy for my requests. My boss protects him a lot. She will jump high whenever she hears any negative feedback from him, but this employee is very impulsive and cannot work under pressure. Has Sounds like some emotional issues, and sometimes he cannot control himself and shouts to others and even to me and doesn't seem to show respect. How can I deal with him as he has my boss as his backup? <laughs> tough situation too, Kwame. <laughs> this, is, this is really tough. And I think this really speaks to the idea of negotiation as a game of chess. There are multiple pieces on the board. And in this situation, I would consider this a multi-party negotiation. Uh, even though this person has emotional issues, I would try and negotiate with him to the best of my abilities to try and get him to behave 
in a more respectful manner. I'm sure this is something that's, that she's already tried to do, but at least I want to say this for the audience as that should be part of your negotiation strategy. The other part of this approach, it, it should be with the, with your supervisor, the person who is, who manages him, who is protecting him because my first option would be try to get him fired. Of course, if this is the situation where she is actually protecting him, that won't work. But then my next move would be trying to figure out a way to minimize his negative effect on me and on others. And so there, there are really three angles that we're going, going for. One with him to try and ad- address his behavior and two with your supervisor uh, to try to either get rid of him or try to minimize his, his impact. And so whenever we're faced with a multi-party negotiation like this, um, it takes a lot of analysis because there are a lot of people that are going to be affected. And so we need to approach it with, with a lot of care. But at the same time, I think this bifurcated approach is going to be what's best because you can't just rely on one angle of negotiation to work, especially in, in complex situations like this. The term that comes to mind is coopetition, <laughs> where you're cooperating on one hand while engaging in a competitive style negotiation on the other side, where like, okay, I'm going to try to work with you. But at the same time, if you don't work with me, I have another line of communication, another angle of the negotiation that still could help to help to protect me from you if you don't play along. And so there really isn't any easy answer for this. But what I would suggest doing is not just looking at him as the only option for negotiation, but also looking at the other ways that you can minimize his impact on yourself and on your team. And you brought up a really important point here, which, and I think in a lot of situations, this is the case where there's multiple parties involved. It seems like these days there's almost never, it's just two people or two entities. There's there's a lot of different stakeholders, even if they aren't all in the conversation. Is there any particular tactic or principle you found to be helpful, uh, Kwame, when you're coaching someone on handling maybe a negotiation that involves three or four or five different parties? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's tough. And, and I laugh because I had a client who uh, was working out of New York and he had a problem person on his team who was in England, who was being protected by his boss. It, the, the, the parallels are, are striking here. And so this is, this is actually a negotiation that I've, I've had to do with one of my clients before. I had to walk him through. And then this was the best approach that we found. And that it, was, it was trying to work all angles. And also working with your team as well to, to try and substantiate some of the issues. And you have to do this in a way that does not impede group, the group dynamic, that doesn't hurt the group dynamic. But again, it's like we discussed earlier, we have to, we have to try and gather as much objective criteria to support our positions as possible. And so I would work with the other people on the team to see if they have had similar experiences or they have similar perspectives. And even though those perspectives are technically subjective, they're qualitative, in nature, they still have value because it shows that it's not just you who's experiencing this negativity with this person, it's you and your whole team. So then when you can bring those substantiated claims from your colleagues or the other people on your team to the superior, it puts you in a much better position and gives you a little bit more leverage when you're having the conversation of either we should let him go or we should try to minimize his impact. And again, this allows us to bring in another a negotiation technique called anchoring. And so anchoring is when you ask for more than what you think you're going to get, 
but it's the most that you can substantiate and ask with legitimacy. And so I think in this case, the most that you could ask for is getting him fired. You know it's not likely, but I think that should be plan A. And then it allows you to adjust to an acceptable plan B. But if you only go in there going for plan B, saying let's minimize his impact, and then and then she says no, then where do you go from there? And so I think anchoring and bring, trying to bring back objective criteria in this situation would be your best bets as far as formulating a negotiation strategy. I definitely learned the lesson a long time ago from a strategy standpoint and influence within an organization is to never put all your eggs in one basket with one particular individual and one particular party. Of course, from a personal relationship standpoint, we all connect with people really effectively one-on-one. And and from a business strategy standpoint, if we're only doing that with one person or we're only negotiating with one party, we're not really being smart about how to handle navigating complexity in an organization. And so having conversations with two or three or four people actually really benefits us and it puts us in a stronger position. It's like you were talking about, if we've got multiple different ways we can go to advance forward if something doesn't work out with one person or one avenue in the situation. Absolutely. All right, let's tackle our final question here from Roger. Roger uh, was curious, thinking about our conversation that I, I talked about in a previous show, Kwame, he said, if you're going to give one or two core messages or wisdom to leaders on handling tough negotiation situations, what would they be? You've mentioned a couple of principles uh, so far, Kwame. What have we missed that um, many of us should be thinking of when we're walking into a tough situation? I will go back to entering the conversation with curiosity, but take it a, a step further and give a, a few more actionable techniques that you can utilize with this. And so when we go in and we want to gather information, which should be our first objective, our, our tools at our disposal are open-ended questions as opposed to closed-ended questions. And so open-ended questions are questions that begin with who, what, where, when, why, or how, preferably what or how. Those are going to be your two go-tos. And then you could also use the open-ended questions or open-ended statements that end in a period. Tell me more about this. Help me understand blank. Uh, those, type of, those type of things. Because it will give you more information. Closed-ended questions, think about those as uh, the questions that attorneys typically ask during cross-examination. You were there that night, right? You murdered her, right? You know, those type of, there's only yes or no answers. And people can feel, feel manipulated when you ask those types of questions. Not, not only that, it, but it also doesn't give you much information. It, it, it really is not a progressive way of dealing with the conversation. And so taking that and the next step is I use the funnel technique for asking questions. And so imagine a funnel. It's very wide at the top. And then as it goes further down, it becomes more narrow. And so at the top of the conversation, I'm going to ask very general questions like, so what's going on? What's your take on this? What made you think that? Those type of things. They can go anywhere with these types of questions and with their responses, but I'm getting a lot of information. I don't go in assuming like I have the entire picture, so I'll ask them to recap from their perspective. And then as they give me more details through their elaborated responses, then the, answer, the questions that I ask would be more specific. So you said you had some concerns. What are those concerns? What makes you think that? So it sounds like this is your main concern, correct? What do you think we could do about that? And it's getting more and more specific as the conversation goes on. And the beautiful thing about asking questions is that 
even though the other person feels like they have more control in the conversation, it's actually you that has the control. Because I, I use the metaphor of a, of a car. If you had an, the option of putting your hand on the steering wheel versus your foot on the gas or brake pedal, my preference would be to have my hand on the steering wheel because at least I'm directing the, I, I'm choosing the direction of the car. And by asking open-ended questions, that's your version of putting your hand on the steering wheel. They might have their foot on the gas or brake pedals. They determine how fast or slow the conversation goes. But it's you that determines the direction. And if you do this the right way, you can create a logical path that allows them to convince themselves. And it takes a lot of pressure off of you to keep bringing affirmative statements to the conversation in order to direct it versus just asking questions and allowing them to open up and show you the keys to persuasion themselves. And almost like coaching people, it's it's sometimes counterintuitive of sometimes the best work we can do is just by asking questions and being curious versus being directive. And part of the preparation you talked about earlier on, Kwame, where we're spending the time to maybe take some more time and to prepare more is probably not just getting the facts straight, but actually to thinking about what are the right questions to ask in the conversation. And even if you think you have it all together of taking the time still to ask some of those questions, because you'll probably unearth things that have changed or you didn't know about, or or the other person's per- the other person didn't realize you cared about or knew about. Um, so the perspective can really uh, can really shift if you do a good job of handling that well. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing that makes asking questions seem so simple, but really makes it makes it so difficult is the fact that there's an an endless amount of questions that you can ask. So the question now is, which questions are the right ones to ask? And that's why, again, I, I say that it's so important to take the time to think through these conversations beforehand. Like I would, I would write down significantly more questions than I think I would ever ask in this conversation. Because simply going through that act of writing down these questions will help me to navigate the, the conversation more fluidly without having to stop and think so, so often, because it, it's tough to really come up with high level open-ended questions on the fly, especially if you are doing a good job of active listening at the same time. So take a little bit of that cognitive load off your shoulders and take the time to prepare beforehand so you don't need to come up with these questions off the fly. It's funny you say that because I've done all kinds of different strategies over the years in preparing for interviews. And what I've found that's worked best, and I'm currently doing Kwame, is actually doing exactly what you just said of obviously different situation in the negotiation, but of writing down tons of questions in advance, way more than I can use. But it gets me thinking cognitively about the things that I would ask and starts getting my brain thinking that way. And then it actually helps me to have a much better conversation with people. And so even outside a negotiation situation, it, it's uh, it's really helpful just taking that time to prepare and ask, uh, thinking about what those those questions are going to be. Yeah, I agree 100%. I, I'd even say that um, me starting this podcast has improved my negotiation abilities because it forces me to take the backseat in the conversation uh-huh. and ask open-ended questions and then stay quiet. Is, is really great practice for, for negotiation. And so people who end up being the best negotiators are the ones who are both inquisitive and good listeners. And so people have this idea of great negotiators being bombastic characters who are very assertive and aggressive. But in reality, it's the people who are willing to take a back seat in the conversation and make the other person the star. Uh, those are the people who end up being the most persuasive. 
goes right back to the lessons a lot of us learned and how to win friends and influence people of making the other person feel important and, and doing it really sincerely and genuinely. And the same message here, Kwame. I, I know there's a ton of resources you have on your website, and you've actually prepared a guide that will be uh, helpful to a lot of us, um, especially those of us who may be going and handling some tough situations coming up. And I think we've got a link for it. It's going to be at AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash Dave. <laughs> so it should be easy That's for folks correct. to remember. What's there? If folks go there, what, uh, what will they find? So this is going to be a really robust guide for negotiations. And so it starts with a brief overview of the, some of the key skills for mastering persuasion and, and building the personal confidence you need with some challenges as well to help you put some of these skills into action. And then I'm a very systematic thinker. It's, it's cool to have some abstract ideas, but when it comes down to it, if I actually have a negotiation, I like to have step-by-step guides. So in this ultimate guide, it has three step-by-step guides that you can use in your next negotiations. The first one is a negotiation preparation guide. It has options where you can list all the questions that you need to ask and, and really create your custom negotiation strategy for whatever the conversation might be. The next one is a salary negotiation guide. You never know when you might need that, but you want to be ready. (laughs) And then the last one, I think might be the most important one. And this is a conflict resolution guide, and it'll give you a step-by-step approach for you as you start to create your strategy for the important conflicts or disputes that you need to deal with on uh, in your profession and possibly in your personal life as well. So we'll have all of that in the weekly guide and the show notes as well. Again, the link AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash Dave. Kwame, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for tackling these tough questions. I know it'll get people thinking and, and just as importantly, utilizing some of these strategies on how to handle the toughest situations. So thank you so much for your time and wisdom. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Kwame Christian is the director of the American Negotiation Institute and produces and hosts the podcast Negotiate Anything. A huge thank you to everyone who came out for the Orange County, California meetup this past Thursday evening. Thank you so much for all of you who joined us. Had a fabulous time this summer doing all the meetups uh, in San Francisco, Denver last month, and then uh, this past week here in Orange County. I was thinking about that today in the context of my conversation with Kwame, because one of the things we've been doing at the meetups is uh, obviously you know giving people a chance to get to know each other and having some fun and doing some Q&A, uh, but we've also been really making it practical for everyone by suggesting that people spend a few minutes talking about something they're struggling with or working on right now, and we've been pairing people up and doing coaching. So everyone walks out of the event with two or three or four different ideas on how they can handle a real leadership situation that's happening. It is something that we're all dealing with on a regular basis. It's it's great to have the theories and it's great to have the models and many of them we talk about on this show on a very regular basis. And yet it is that thing that sometimes surprises us the very next morning that we come in the situation like, how do I handle this? And how do I get the objective perspective in order to do a better job in this particular situation? That is one of the things that we are doing regularly in the Coaching for Leaders Academy is giving access to leaders to objective perspective that'll help to move them forward. We do that pretty much daily in the academy. And many of you have been hearing about the academy over the last couple of months. 
And I've been receiving a ton of email from folks who are interested in learning more. If you are thinking that you may be interested in applying for the Coaching for Leaders Academy, applications are going to be opening on Monday, September 11th, 2017. So that's coming up here in just a few weeks from when I'm airing this. You are going to be hearing more in the next few weeks. However, if you are considering applying or you've been hearing about the Academy and want to learn more, I recommend you go over to coachingforleaders.com slash Academy because you can get on the early alert list and there's going to be at least one special announcement and opportunity coming for those who are on the early alert list prior to September 11th. So if that is you and you'd like to learn more, coachingforleaders.com slash Academy is where to go and be watching for more information coming up about the Academy. And if you've just started listening recently or the Academy may not be the right fit for you, I hope that you will go on the website and set up your free membership. You can get access to so much of the content and wisdom of the Coaching for Leaders episodes over the last six years just by going over to coachingforleaders.com. And when you get there, you can set up your free membership and get instant access to my free 10-day audio course titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. I have distilled the best lessons of experts who've been on the show over the last six years and put them into a 10-minute-a-day for 10-day package that will really help you to get the most immediate practical actions to become a better leader. It also gives you full access to the library searchable by topic, the member cast, my library, and a whole bunch more that's within the membership portal. Again, you can activate all that for free just by going over to coachingforleaders.com and setting up your free membership. Now, there are several episodes that we've hit on in the past that talk about handling tough situations and negotiation. And if today's conversation sparks some ideas for you, or maybe you're looking for more, I would encourage you to go check out these past episodes. First of all, episode number 91, how to listen when someone is venting. I had Mark Goldstein on the show uh, back on episode 91. We talked about how do you diffuse a really tough situation when you've got someone coming at you with a lot of anger. And we had talked about this in the last couple of weeks in the context of parenting, but there are differences, of course, in leadership. And there are differences, of course, in a professional environment. One of the things Mark did is he walked through a three-step model in that episode on if you've got someone coming at you and and they're really venting and they're really angry, how do you diffuse that really effectively? Mark goes through a brilliant process. It's very simple, very straightforward, but it's something that's extremely powerful. Episode 91 is where to go if that is something that sounds like it may be of interest to you. Also, I'd suggest checking out episode number 262, negotiating as if your life depended on it. We had Chris Voss on that episode, former special agent in the FBI, also the former chief hostage negotiator for the FBI. He talked about the lessons from his most recent book on negotiation. I know Kwame is a huge fan of his work as well. Fabulous, fabulous tactics on negotiation. If you haven't heard that episode and you find yourself in tough situations a lot, I definitely check it out because some of the things that Chris talks about in that episode is contrary to some of the conventional wisdom a lot of us think about when we hear negotiations. And it turns out some of the practical things that negotiators need to do are sometimes different than what we think. So episode 262 is where to go for that. And then finally, I'd suggest checking out episode 263, How to Benefit from Conflict. My friend Susan Gerke was on the show back on episode 263, and we talked through a three-step model on how to 
handle a conflict when you're helping mediate or negotiate between two other parties. We, we got a lot of we got a lot of things happening in threes here today. Models, but powerful, simple. This model on episode two sixty three especially helpful if you're in one of those situations where you got two people maybe on your team or two people in the organization or your peers that are just not handling a situation well, and you've been called in to help or you've been called in to maybe help them to. Uh, navigate the situation better. Episode 263 is the place to start. It's a three-step model and really where to go. Simple, very powerful. You can get to all of those past episodes just by going to coachingforleaders.com slash the episode number. Next week, I am so glad to welcome John Lockhorse to the show. John is an executive coach specializing in coaching CPAs, CFOs, and other technical leaders. He's going to be coming on the show to teach us about how technical leaders can best leverage leadership and develop leadership skills. And he's also been a longtime listener to Coaching for Leaders. So I'm really excited to bring that conversation to you next week. Thank you so much to Smidas in Australia, down under, for the very kind review on iTunes. Thank you so much. Uh, Someone in Australia put a message on LinkedIn. Are you going to do a meetup down here someday? Someday. I hope to get there. Hey, thanks so much, Smitas. I appreciate it. If you've been listening for a bit and the show's been helpful to you, coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes is where to leave a review. Thanks in advance. Have a great week and see you next week for a conversation on technical leaders.